Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches make a better business and a better world. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting to those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. We'll find out how circular principles can create value, increase resilience and reduce risk to make a competitive, sustainable organisation. You'll find the show notes and links at www.circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to updates and useful resources. Welcome to episode 20. I'm recording this on the 1st of February and the UK news is focused on our new status on the first day after our exit from the European Union. Also on the spread and potential impact of the coronavirus. My best wishes go out to those of you affected by that. Today we're going to pick out a theme from recent episodes. And one thing I noticed was the variety of ways that people were getting to grips with the problem they wanted to solve with circular approaches. I've been reading a brilliant book by Beck Evans, who I met recently. It's called How to Have a Happy Hustle, The Complete Guide to Making Your Ideas Happen. And it's aimed at those people who are looking to get fulfilment by doing something new, especially a startup or side project. So how do we find a problem that needs a circular solution? Beck's advice is to start with what's bugging you now. We can collect the problems we experience, big or small, whether they affect one person or one million. Beck suggests we become avid problem collectors by noticing, asking other people what bugs them, by watching TV and observing other people, and even on social media. She says we can make problem collecting a daily routine, challenge ourselves to record 10 problems a day and soon we'll have a stack of problems waiting to be solved. I'll put a link to Beck Evans' website and her talk at the RSA in the show notes. In episode 11, we talked to Izzy Erickson, founder of Apparel Exchange, a social enterprise in Scotland. Izzy had noticed problems with school uniforms. Firstly, that as children grow fast, the uniforms are quickly outgrown. The clothing gets a hard time and so may be stained or damaged before it's outgrown. This means school uniforms end up being a bit like fast fashion, with a heavy production footprint and lots of waste. And they're expensive. Apparel Exchange is solving this problem by developing circular business models for school uniforms and children's clothing, starting with a reuse offer and including sewing and repair classes in schools. Izzy, welcome back. And uh, it's a bit late to be saying Happy New Year, but last time we spoke, we said we would catch up in January and see how your new ideas are coming along. You were thinking of trialling a subscription model. Where's that got to? Hi, Catherine. Great to uh, talk to you again and happy new year to you as well. I think we can just get away with it because it's still January. So maybe the 1st of February is the cutoff. 
Um, so yeah, so we ended up doing an eight family trial of our um, kind of subscription model. It was really, or it was focused around school uniforms. So what we were basically saying, um, what we offered was for people to buy the school uniform um, a slightly elevated price from what we normally sell it at. And with that elevated price, they could get um, replacements throughout the year. So that kicked off in August, just before the kids went back to school up in Scotland. And the eight families had a combination of only children or several children, and they took a combination of numbers of garments. And what we were trying to do with the trial was kind of create a real life scenario where, you know, families already have garments that they're using, school uniform that they're using, and they really needed just some additional stuff from us. And eventually what we would hope is with the subscription model, they would come to us for everything. Um, we have literally just finished the first uh, kind of phase of that. So we went back and just before Christmas, we surveyed everybody who was in the trial and we got some really great feedback. So three families had already come back to us to have garments exchanged. So their children had grown and that was really great. Um, and we were also replacing some shirts that had got quite badly stained as well. So what we were getting is the really useful data that tells us, you know, almost like uh, the loss rate that we might have over garments that we can't reuse. But what was great is the ones that we did exchange out, um, we probably had a, a, you know, a reuse rate of about 70%. So this is all great data to help us build and understand some of the costs that we've got. Um, so we will be doing another interview kind of survey with the families again, probably about Easter time. And what we would expect to see probably March, April is for the families to come back to us and want to exchange again uh, product for summer dresses and shorts and things like that. Um, the other question we asked, though, with the survey was because we've just been focused on uniforms, uh, was would they be up for a membership subscription model around other garments as well? So um, since we last spoke, we knew that and we were very aware that we needed to kind of branch out in and diversify into all school aged children's clothing and footwear and accessories. And we've done that. So we've really broadened out all of the clothing that we accept. It goes through the same kind of rigorous process of quality checking and, and it's retailing in the St. Enoch Centre now and online. Um, we still have to work quite hard to kind of develop that supply chain and um, kind of get enough of a quality and a variation of all the different types of garments for growing children at different ages and colors and styles and everything. So very much what we know now we need to do is increase the volume and range of stock that we've got in the next few months um, and also have an ability to manage that within our current retail footprint at the St. Enoch Centre because that's our main operation. So we've been also trying to source a second location storage processing hub and we've had a bit of support from kind of a local um, property private sector property consultant who's looking into that with us. Um, so that's kind of leads a little bit into the developments of it as well. 
Um, but you know, what was really great about undertaking the survey work was really understanding kind of what are the problems that we're solving for customers, you know? And um, we had some feedback from one of our um, families and they are re in receipt of a clothing grant, which they use for uh, uniforms. So they receive benefits, they get a clothing grant up here. All local authorities provide them in Scotland. And it can be anywhere between kind of like 60 and 110 pounds. And they um, were really keen to carry on when we more formalized the model because they were very keen for uh, to know that with their budget, uh, they would have access to all the uniform that they needed over the year and that the family didn't really need to worry about where am I going to get the money for the next size up in the jumper or the next size up in the skirt. So, you know, that was such valuable kind of feedback that this absolutely helps people manage their budgets. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm just increasing that awareness. And from what yeah. you were saying earlier, you're hoping to replicate the model in other places? Yeah, so um, we, I mean, at the moment, you know, I think we need to have a couple more years um, under our belt in terms of operations and really fine tuning what we're trying to do and uh, really establish the membership model. Um, I think uh, realistically, I mean, I mean, I think you've always got to kind of look a couple of years ahead in terms of development and, you know, obviously just having that ambition and that vision is really important. Um, but I think the, um, if we could probably replicate kind of in Edinburgh with the membership model and do it quite locally or in, Dun you know, Stirling, Dundee, and try and find like-minded organizations who we can kind of license the idea to or franchise it to or either expand ourselves. Um, because I think one of the things we recognize uh, with pre-worn garments and with children and with young people is that you know, they need to try stuff on, get that touch, feel experience. And while we have an online operation, we can't transfer the whole thing on online. It's not how this thing's going to work. And, you know, I think what we see ourselves doing is really bringing, reinvigorating the high street. So saying, actually, you know, this is a new opportunity to come to the high street. It's a slightly different experience from what you're currently having with uh, by new or new products or going to a charity shop. You know, this, this is um, about uh, the child being put at the center of, of uh, buying the garments that they want and about them making choices um, and really kind of creating a hub where there's lots of activity going on it, learning about kind of repair and kind of being a part of the movement as well. So we are having some exciting conversations uh, with the St. Enoch Centre and that, you know, this is a shopping centre we're in in Glasgow and, you know, sustainability is at the core of their strategies. So we're looking at, you know, how we work with them um, as well and what kind of our offer is and how that's quite distinct from, from other retailers in the centre and in Glasgow as a whole. So we would love to see other social enterprises co-locate where we are, other sustainable fashion makers and designers locate co-locates so that actually what you create is then a bit more of a hub around you know more sustainable fashion opportunities basically so Izzy if people are interested in in um, working with you how can they get in touch so um look there's the usual channels um 
go onto the website. We've got lots of social media channels as well in terms of kind of the Instagram and our Twitter and our Facebook. So track us down. Um, we would love you to be involved if you've got ideas, opinions, if you're, you know, in Cornwall somewhere or Wales somewhere or Northern Ireland somewhere, another part of Scotland or England, you know, get in touch because we are trying to work out how we can be there for everybody, um, how we can maybe improve on what the online offer is. Um, yeah, and, and just really, you know, a big part of, of this movement that we're a part of um, is about having friends uh, across across uh, the whole of the UK. So, yeah, just because we're in Glasgow doesn't mean we don't want to be in contact with everybody um, and spreading, spreading the news, so networking. So, yeah. Absolutely. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. And we'll put the links to Apparel Exchange on the, the, the website and social media in the show notes. And um, let's hope next time we catch up with you um, that, um, you know, the, the scale has increased and you've got more customers and more garments and more helpers. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I know that would be good. Lovely, Catherine. Thank you so much. OK, thanks, Izzy. Bye. Bye. In episode 12, we heard from David Bassetti of 3D Seed. David had noticed the problem of plastic bottles littering beaches in Mallorca and decided to find a way of helping communities, schools and businesses recycle plastic into 3D printed products. And they could design these for themselves, helping engage people in the problem of, of plastic waste and how to get it back into the system. In episode 13, we met Beth Masser of Azarka. And Beth was also tackling the problem of plastic waste, focusing on containers for food to go. Beth and her husband Michael have created returnable, reusable and recyclable silicon packaging for takeaway food. Thinking about how to make it easy for people to carry the empty containers, they made them collapsible. To make them work for the cafes, delis and takeaways, they made the containers in standard portion sizes. Consumers and the outlets are overjoyed to find circular, sustainable packaging options so they aren't contributing to the waste problem. In episode 14, we talked to David Greenfield, also known as Dr Resources of Circular Economy Club London. David told us about Tech Takeback, a partnership he founded to get end-of-use technology resources safely back into the economy. The key is safe erasure of data, meaning people can be confident that their phones, computer hard drives, tablets and so on will be properly wiped of personal data. Tech Take Back helps people declutter and dispose of their technology products safely and enable that technology to have a second life or be properly recycled. David had lots of circular economy examples and we couldn't fit them all into one episode, so have a listen to this bonus section. The circular economy has got so many interesting things. We we did, um, it's probably a little bit of an aside, but it was quite exciting for me. Um, I tend to come up with lots of crazy ideas and then see if we can actually try and um, do them. Um, so last year, I came up with the concept of, in the London Circular Economy Week, hosting a circular economy tour of circular economy businesses 
on the circle line as part of Circular Economy Week. Um, and so I came up I with that concept. I don't think you tried hard enough to get enough circulars into that concept. Oh, maybe. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did, I, no, I did manage to get one more in because it was then delivered by Circular Economy Club. Oh, uh, fantastic. London. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I ran that this year and we went to 17 companies in the space of, so literally a whole day, 9.30, uh, we started with Bio and we started with Open Cell Labs, uh, a couple of companies there. Uh, we then went to the Goldfinger factory and learned how they were uh, essentially repurposing furniture. Um, went along to Elwarb and saw some of their um, accelerator companies, including Oldstone and um, um, a couple of a, a company making gin out of potato waste. Um, and then finished off at Sustainable Bankside, where we were talking to Adver, Right Furniture, and Toast, amongst others. Mm -hmm. And we had 35 people spending a whole day going through all of this, and they absolutely loved it. And we, we planned it well, because Toast do a free beer Friday at their offices at uh, five o'clock, and we got there about um, half past four. Uh, <laughs> but for me, there is so much innovation going on in the circular economy space that it's really difficult to nail something down mm. because there's so many good things. Uhu are a brilliant example of redesigning. Yeah, uh, and that's and that's not new, is it? When did I first hear about that? 2015, I think, and it had already been going for a few years then. So, um, yeah, we could... Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. I, for, for me, I think that I, I now class myself as a... I don't think I'm an old fart yet, but I'm an older fart. <laughs> I've been around in, I can, I can make myself old by saying I was um, working last millennium and that scares a lot of the youngsters that I'm dealing with. But we're seeing some really, really um, interesting solutions coming up from people that have grown up with this as a problem. Yeah. And I think we mentioned before we started this, um, uh, one particular lady, I had the pleasure of judging the Sussex University Design Awards. Uh, so this is undergrads, end of year, third year, undergrad show. Firstly, I was absolutely blown away by the level of professionalism um, and the way that they were designing their shows. I, I got asked to judge what I thought was the most or give the most circular economy award. And there was one lady who created a, um, <clears throat> a plastic film replacement using um, fish scales and other forms of um, algae and all sorts of things. And she's built a co cocktail that replicated the, the film that you'd get in um, sort of like sandwich boxes. Mm -hmm. Not a cling film, slightly thicker than that. Yeah. And it was just sort of like, Wow, 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 wow. Um, and good time to have this interview. Um, it was announced in The Guardian today that she's just won the uh, James Dyson Award for the UK and is going into the International James Dyson Award. Fantastic. Lucy Hughes, if anybody's interested. No, that's great. And I was just thinking as we, as we started to get into some of those, I was thinking we could easily do a second episode just going through some of the exciting stuff that you've seen and kind of, uh, you know, showcasing um, 
10 or 15, yes. al almost doing a virtual tour of, of, uh, of London or the Southeast or whatever. And I think this, this for me is, is um, one of the ways that will help move things forward much more quickly by telling people how much exciting stuff's happening and making sure people get why, why that's better. It's not just that it's better for the planet, um, but, you know, um, people are creating meaningful work out of this. People are creating startup yeah. businesses. People are doing something to turn a waste into a, a valuable resource and re removing a waste waste disposal cost from another business. All those kind of, you know, win-win um, scenarios that start to get people then thinking, people in business thinking, well, what could I do with my business to do something that's more circular? Or if I'm looking to leave college and I'm wondering what to do, you know, why can't you start something up? And there are just so, yeah. many, so many brilliant ideas coming forward that, um, you know, find it, it's, it's really exciting. So um, are there any, any one of those that you would recommend as a future guest for the programme or somebody else that, that you'd recommend? Um, I think there's, there's, there's one person I'll uh, recommend, which um, he's so passionate about this, it's unbelievable. Um, other than those I've already mentioned. Um, a, a very, very nice gentleman called Santiago uh, Navarro who is the founder of Gusson Wines. Um, now, some of your listeners might not have heard of Gusson Wines. I've heard of it quite recently, and I can't think how, but go on. <laughs> so they have created a 100% recycled and 100% recyclable wine bottle. Is that the, um, the square bottle as well? Is the it, flat bottle. The flat bottle, yeah. So from yeah. my from my logistics and supply chain background, you know, that's brilliant because otherwise there's all that wasted space around um products. You know, if you yeah. if you go and look at something like a um a, a Persil bottle with its, you know, angled top and a hole in the middle for the for the dispenser capsule and, you know, weird shapes and things, um that that just shouts wasted wasted logistics cost to me so yeah the, well, the flat exciting. wine bottle brilliant and there's a couple of things that make it even more exciting so you've mentioned about logistics absolutely um so they can get 10 bottles of wine into the same box that six glass bottles were getting to mm, excellent uh, which is really exciting um but fundamentally, they've designed them so that they can be posted through the letterbox of somebody's home. Wow. So they are, they are now deliverable via the post. Are these plastic bottles then? Or... Yes. Okay, that's the, good. I'm the, just I'm just envisaging, um, you know, the um, the letterbox, our letterbox and a stone floor. <laughs> if it was glass. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> plastic, uh, yeah. You, you can order them. You can order them through um, various um online retailers now and have it delivered in a cardboard box um straight through your letterbox which of course talking about logistics um means that you end up avoiding one of the biggest um costs around logistics which is returns mm. um so the theory is that you get your 100 percent recycled plastic wine bottle 
which still tastes as good as um, uh, a glass wine bottle. Um, and uh, it's then fully recyclable, including the label and the lid. So that, that's, he'd, he'd be a really, really good one to chat to. Yeah, fantastic. Um, but yeah, very much, I, I believe that circular economy is about demonstrating to people the art of the possible, rather than talking about the possibility uh, only. Mm, yeah, and I think, yeah, making making it exciting and helping people understand what's out there and what they can choose to buy differently, like the wine bottles and so on, starts yeah. to energise people to feel that they're making a difference in their personal lives. Um, yeah. And that then gives you gives you energy and inspiration to look at what's the next thing that you can do and the next thing and so on. Staying with computer technology, in episode 15, we talked to Matilda Jarbin of GIAB in Sweden. GIAB's founders had noticed two problems related to consumers' technology, especially phones and laptops. In Sweden, these technology items are often included in household insurance, so if you drop them or get them wet, you claim. The insurer would, would, would replace the item, but wouldn't ask you to return the damaged one. So the first problem is the lost value of all that unused technology, which might be repairable and definitely has value for recycling. The second problem is that the consumer might not want a new replacement, preferring to stick with the model they're familiar with. And this system also costs more, meaning householders ultimately end up with higher insurance premiums. So to solve this problem, GIAB set up a system whereby making a claim means you have to return the damaged item. If it's repairable, you have the option to have it repaired, or to swap it for another pre-used phone if you want it back quickly. The insurer saves money, and GIAB helps close the loop on all that valuable technology. In episode 16, we talked to an expert in designing circular solutions, Sophie Thomas. Sophie used her experience in ethical and sustainable design in the RSA's groundbreaking Great Recovery Project. Sophie explained the importance of thinking about the system you're designing for, not just the object or product itself. Exactly. And I think this is what um, was happening. I mean, the way that the design, the way that we're taught as designers is very much now in the last, I would say the last decade has been very much focused on user centered design, um, which is great because obviously you don't want to have just product design, which doesn't actually work for the person who needs it. Um, but that's not enough. You know, you need to have design, which is also uh, yes, as you say, you know, it can be taken apart. So the user changes, which is why we always talk about uh, design for third or fourth life because you're jumping seconds. So if you design for first life, you're designing very much a linear product. If you're designing for second life, you're just designing for sort of part recycling probably. Um, if you're designing for third or fourth life, you actually take it out of its product placement as its position and you take it into something like uh, recovery for uh, recycling. So you can get your, or you get your base materials back so you can start disassembling. You take it from being a product into its actually constituent materials. 
Um, so you're, you you stop thinking of it as an object. You think of it as a a line of materials that you need to get that peak at one product, come back, then peak at another product, come back. Um, and you also uh, you think about reuse. So if it focuses. It it makes you focus on different types of model of design, and which is really fundamental for for circular economy. So servitization, leasing, reuse, all of that in the first instance before you get to that outer fast recycling loop, which is currently what we always default to, you know, we can recycle it, which is only kind of the second because you always downgrade the materials because there's too much um, additives in it. Yeah. So and, I think and, it's and very even, much... And even if you don't downgrade, you're expending an awful lot of energy, of energy to do yeah. that and you've lost a lot of the value embedded in exactly. the product at the start. Exactly. Sophie also reminded us that it's very expensive to find and acquire new customers. Keeping your existing customers costs around 5 to 10% of the expense and investment involved in finding new ones. On to episode 17 and we talked to another circular economy expert, Nancy Bocken. Nancy is a professor at Lund University and highly respected researcher on the circular economy especially circular business models. She's also the co-founder of Homey, which provides pay-per-use home appliances. This solves the problem of having convenient access to a washing machine in your home without having to buy it. If it breaks down, Homey come and repair it or swap it for another one. The pay-per-use model has other benefits. People think more carefully about when and how to wash, washing at significantly lower temperatures and on average 30% less than before. In episode 18, we move from washing clothes to the problem of clothes for fast-growing babies. Eve Keke in London founded Bundley to provide a sustainable service for high-quality baby wear after noticing how many clothes her younger siblings got through and wondering how someone so small needed so much stuff. Babies go through seven sizes in the first two years, and Bundley's rental subscription model gives parents a sustainable alternative to take, make, waste, provides better quality clothes, and costs less. We wrapped up this series by talking to Wasa Stenmark in episode 19. Wasa is a researcher for IVL, the Swedish Environmental Research Institute. Wasa is particularly interested in fashion and food and is working on projects to better understand how we help support behaviour change. For example, making it easy to reuse takeaway food containers. Wasa tells us that people already expect companies and governments to make good choices for us. As Peter Desmond noted in his blog on inclusive capitalism, Back in 2001, The Economist pointed out that consumer trust is the basis of all brand values, and therefore brands have an immense incentive to retain it. And thanks to Sean Pilo-DeChenesey for pointing us to that quote. We also talked about the tendency for people to say they behave in a certain way, but not to actually do that in real life. How do you deal with that when you're designing solutions to the problem? You observe, test, notice what's really going on. 
Beck Evans, the author of How to Have a Happy Hustle, who we talked about at the start, says this is the process of design research and that you should capture everything you're witnessing, even things that don't seem important in people's behaviour and body language. You start with those observations and then look for patterns which can open up new insights. Insights are often the aha moment, finding a truth about people's behaviour or insights that can lead to new or better product, service or ways of doing things. You start with those observations and then look for patterns which can open up new insights. Insights can be the aha moment, finding a truth about people's behaviour or issues that can lead to a new or better product, service or way of doing things. As our guests in this series have found, the best solutions and designs have come from getting curious about the problem, understanding it from the viewpoint of all those involved, and finding the true insights hidden under the surface. Beck Evans says we can become a problem hunter today and an inventor tomorrow. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the practicalities including lots of real examples from around the world. You can get in touch via the website, rethinkglobal.info, or send us a tweet, at rethink underscore global. Please let us know what you think of the podcast, and you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time. <music>